Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. I hope everyone survived Theft Day a couple of days ago. Thank you so much for joining us on this Thursday night. It is April 17th, 2014, and I am joined tonight by Josh Wiley with No Video and Rick Stagenborg. Did I get it right, Rick? Oh, I can barely hear you. I don't know why. Oh, we might have to turn up. There we go. There we go. We've got some audio. Excellent. And Josh dressed up for the show. Hello, Say hello to the listening audience, Josh, in the video. Hello, listening audience. I'm very sorry for not holding my usual dress standards this evening. It's been a long day. It has been a long day. And um, for everybody tuning in on Liberty Movement Radio, listening to the live stream, or I guess we could all do this, cross our fingers, and, and hope that you're listening to the live stream. We have some technical difficulties. Uh, that Josh had to deal with the other day, and we will not get into the fun, but it was a lot of fun. So, as well, I, I, I do believe it is uh, all fixed up now. So, so all right. it is, we've we had 100% uptime today. So, look at that! What the marvels of technology! So, Josh Riley of the Journalistic Revolution joins me. Rick Stagenborg. I told you I would get it right after like four or five times, Rick. So did I get it right? <laughs> yes, yes, you did. Yes. Eventually. Twice in a row. Eventually, we will get there, man. So Rick Sagenborg for Soldiers for International Peace joins us this evening. And, um, well, great to have both of you on. So um, so glad to have a couple of good minds on here for this conversation that we're going to have this evening. And if you're tuning in to Liberty Movement Radio, Josh, I don't know if you can monitor the chat. Can you monitor the chat on your other screen, or do you want me to do that? Oh, I, I will absolutely do that for you, Jake. Okay, guys, so if you guys are listening out there in cyber world and um, your fellow thought criminals like we are and believe that um, you should have some self-ownership and um, some common knowledge and try to navigate through life with um, some moral construct and actually have respect for other people, then message us throughout the show with your questions and comments. So, guys, I wanted to get into the Ukraine and not meaning to like dive right into everything, but um, we're done with all the semantics now, so it's time for the grown people to talk as... um, my parents used to say down here in the south. So, um, Rick, you follow the, the Ukrainian situation um, pretty closely. So I'm going to start with you, and then um, I first want you to tell people some of the challenges that you had when you were trying to run your interview, and then um, give that into a jumping-off point of um, of what you have seen progress. Uh, obviously not in the mainstream media's eyes, but what you've seen progress uh, by monitoring news sites, um, monitoring um, people over there that actually live in the Ukraine, and seeing what um, what's actually manifesting over there. So um, you got the floor, man. Tell us um, tell us what you know so far. Sure. Well, well I got contact. I'm having some, some feedback, feedback issues, issues here. Is that a problem on my end? Or? It, uh, it might be on my end. Hold on one yeah, second. Yeah, I've been hearing some echo as well. Is it his end or mine, Josh? Do you hear echo on your on you, or is it just feedback on him? I hear I, echo on uh, both me and Rick, but uh, not yourself. Does that help? Tell me if uh, no. Nope. Is that worse? Uh, I guess. Marginal change? Any change? Oh, I know what it is. It's my um. Ah, all right. It's my audio in. Okay. 
Let's see if I can just mess with this. All right, so anyway, Rick, go ahead, and Josh, you give me a thumbs up, thumbs down if we get warm, get hot, whatever. Okay? Okay. Well, I have a radio show, uh, SFPI Radio, and I uh, got in contact with an economist who's in the Sebastopol area in the Crimea, and she wanted to talk about what was going on there. She's a pro-Russian supporter, as are most people in Crimea, obviously. Uh, and she wanted to talk about um, what what this is really about, what's going on in the Ukraine, uh, what the consequences would have been had the elected president gone along with the EU offer, um, and uh, which would not have been pretty, uh, and uh, what the options are. And uh, we were we made several attempts to connect. We barely connected once, and uh, it, it, she kept dropping off. Now, they're having problems with the Internet in Ukraine, so that's not an issue. But there were lots of other issues, technical issues, that I'd never seen before. People at Blog Talk didn't seem to have ever heard of before. So uh, I ended up, uh, I tried also with somebody in Mexico, and they didn't have an Internet problem there. Uh, uh, somebody studied the situation closely. That didn't work either. So I ended up doing it with Scott Ricard mm-hmm. uh, in Florida, and that worked. So I, you know, I don't want to sound paranoid. I'm not going to say they were targeting uh, me and my relatively small uh, voice, uh, but I, I just, uh, you know, it fits into the the fact that. The corporate media is uh, completely going along with the CIA-inspired propaganda that's uh, totally uh, totally hiding the U.S. role in the so-called revolution, the coup, actually, the neo-fascist coup in, um, <clears throat> in Ukraine uh, and trying to blame everything on Russia. So that's... Uh, that's the short version. I mean, there's a lot to it. Uh, sure. we, could, we could walk through... What happened on uh, Maidan Square? Uh, we could talk about the evidence of U.S. involvement and the involvement of agencies like USAID and NED and Operation Gladio. You tell me where you want to go. No, I mean that's a very good point. I mean, uh, USAID is is one of those organizations that we see time and time again. The the NGO operation that will go and typically help fund or at least nudge along these. Um, these issues and and try to and try to stir up trouble and then once again uh, with the propaganda backed by the U.S. basically blame whoever the U.S. wants. I mean, we saw with 9/11 a bunch of terrorists attacked us from Saudi Arabia, and then the U.S. goes, "It was Iraq. We got to go get them," and everybody <laughs> buys it. And that and that's even uh, barring the significant amount of evidence that suggests that these supposed terrorists. Uh, had absolutely nothing to do with it, and uh, a lot of them were active intelligence assets that had essentially been set up as fall guys. So the majority of them were CIA. They were trained to actually, and this is a this is a fun little fact from myself. Uh, one of my friends actually was getting his pilot's license at the actual base, or not the base, at the airport in Florida, where the where the supposed hijackers were being trained. And he remembers, and he didn't think anything of it until he started going back to this airport. Um, pretty religiously, and saw that, wow, there was a huge governmental presence at this one point in time, and now there really wasn't. So at the time that these guys were supposedly at this base, there was a huge presence, military presence, and I don't know if it's coincidence, obviously, you know, 
um, coincidence that, or causality doesn't, or excuse me, where, where am I trying to go with this, Josh? Um, the coincidence... Correlation does not equal causation. Thank you. Yeah. Gosh, I couldn't get my C constructs together. My <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a big fan of alliteration, I guess. I, I know you are. All right, so... But that's what we're trying to get at, and now that um, Ricky brought up a, a couple of really good points. So um, I unfortunately have not been following the Ukraine as closely as I have been because I got distracted with the Bundy Ranch situation, which, as I'm seeing it now, is the big diversion. And Josh, you and I talked about it on Tuesday. It, I mean, it is does, does have some significance here in, in the United States when you're talking about property rights and water rights and grazing rights and things of that nature. and. And what really comes first, first, the chicken or the egg? But now that I'm starting to see that along with the missing plane situation, it really does look like these are, these are just issues to, to distract the public and not really pay attention to what's going on over there in, in the Ukraine and really focus in on, wow, you've got some really hardcore, um, as you said, Rick, fascist slash you know, neo-Nazi sympathizers over there. Uh, I just saw an article today, and I don't know how factual this is, but calling for the registration of Jews. So... Here we go again. It, it seems like um, it seems like it's this, it's the same central authorities that back these fascist slash neo-Nazi groups all the time, whether it's in 1940s or it's in modern day um, uh, modern day fascism. But it's always the same corporate interest that will typically fund these people to bring them to power because hey, fascism and collectivism makes for easy control, and they love to start fights. So, Josh, what are your things? What thoughts? Well. I, I don't know if the Bundy Ranch situation is uh, is actually a you know deliberately fomented distraction. Uh, of course, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know this this one man and his family and his cattle uh, has far less implications, at least as it stands now, than the toppling of a country. Sure. Um, I mean, but I, I do think it highlights a lot of important issues. Uh, certainly, locking homesteading rights and principles. Uh, it brings Agenda 21 to the forefront. It brings uh, crony capitalism and, quite frankly, the systemic and, and very well-planned uh, takeover of America by moneyed Chinese financial interests, typically, you know, within the, the, the ranks of, of the military, you know, as, as most of the wealth uh, in China resides, these old political families. Sure. Um, but I, I think it's interesting that we, we are talking about the Ukraine now, uh, just as we pass the 20th anniversary uh, of, of another horrible, essentially, uh, uh, American-backed genocide uh, in Rwanda. Uh, another key example of, essentially, uh, IMF-run imperialism uh, that, that, uh, that ultimately uh, causes these false racial and, and cultural divides that, that wouldn't have existed otherwise, right? Ukrainians and Russians have lived alongside each other in, in the Ukraine for a very long time, uh, and now this rebellion is being fomented. But it's just so fascinating to watch this propaganda uh, be, be rolled out. Uh, first, you know, of course, referencing things like Victoria Newland's leaked phone call, uh, realizing that that was played on every major American media um, platform. And the only part of that conversation, which is the least important part of that conversation, is the last five seconds that are played in which she says, and excuse my French, fuck the EU, whereas the rest of that entire conversation is her discussing who they're going to install as the new prime minister of the Ukraine, and it's this neo-Nazi fascist, you know, Yatsenyuk, and then of course, what happens when, as, as she so affectionately refers to him as Yats, yeah. what's the first thing that her good buddy Yats does? 
when he's installed uh, as, as prime minister. And this is from Bloomberg.com. Ukrainian prime minister Arseniy Yatsenyuk sought financial aid from Western donors and promised to adopt measures needed for, steady eco- for a steady economic uh, beset by plunging currency and widening budget deficits. The new Ukraine is a government, the new Ukrainian government is ready to deliver changes. We fully realize that the IMF program is not a sweet candy, but on the other hand, my country desperately needs real reforms to stabilize the Ukrainian economy. But see, that's the, that's the whole rub, is that they never deliver on what they tell you that they're, they're going to do. I mean, just read where they, they come in and they say that they come in and they say, "Well, we're going to give you all this money, and we're going to give you this money to create a, um, we're going to give you this money to create your own um, power plant, and then this power plant over 30 years will net you 30 percent from the taxpayers, and you're only going to have to pay the IMF for 10 years, and so after 10 years you, or excuse me, the World Bank, so after 10 years you break even, and then the rest of it is all profit that goes back to your country. Well, all the numbers are always inflated. They buy into this because it's a big chunk of cash, and guess what? The guys at the top most of the time are going to get a kickback, and that's just the way that the cookie crumbles. Either they're going to get a personal stake in it, or they're going to get some kind of, of gift from these international loans, and then they basically dulled their population out, as Rick was saying before, um, refusing the EU treatment. It's like, I mean, you're basically put between a lava, um, a volcano and a tar pit. It's like, which one, which one would you rather die in? It's, well, so it's very, very confusing. Yeah, and Jake, I know we, we reference this quote so often because it's one of our favorites, uh, that Richard Andrew Grove quote where he says, you know, every play these people run is a touchdown. Yeah. And quite frankly, at, at this point, I, I'm, I'm getting sick of this. Uh, you know, Michelle Chosodovsky, uh, the, the professor uh, um, uh, of, uh, oh, geez, Montreal University, but history, sure. I believe, or is, is a geopolitical author, runs global research, uh, wrote an excellent book called... an economist. Is he an economist? I think so. Yeah, that, that, that might very well be the case. But he wrote an excellent book called uh, The Globalization of Poverty in the New World Order. Mm-hmm. And this it has literally been a very basic plan run by the IMF and the World Bank since its inception. It's been going on now since the 1950s. It's very basic. It's why so much of the rest of the world hates us. And now as it's unfolding, the same script is unfolding again in the Ukraine. The American people are being duped again. And quite frankly, I'm sick of it. Ah. It was also the first thing that Egypt did was take several billion dollars from the IMF after the original uh, revolution. All right, I think that we all need to go watch some football. We are all too well informed. This is <laughs> Yeah, and of course, they've been doing it all through Latin America forever. And uh, this is all well known to people who understand how the IMF works. It's a matter of getting those nations in debt. Uh, like you said, Jake, the people at the top get paid off, and uh, then the, the taxpayers are on the hook. It's a form of debt slavery. They're enslaving entire nations, and uh, they're basically doing the same thing to the U.S., but not through the IMF. Yeah. Uh, they're doing that through the Fed. Absolutely, and then meanwhile, we have people here in the U.S. that are like, oh, well, you just don't care about other people. It's like, no, 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 no. Like if I don't want to give donations to the to the private Federal Reserve, and I think that taxes are a fraud, that doesn't mean that I don't want to have my money taken and given to other people. I'm like, we need to look at the bigger picture here. You know, this money that we're creating here in the U.S. and all of this labor, where is all this stuff going? Where is all of our money going? Who owns our money? Who owns our debt? Where is all this stuff going? But people never get to that question because I watched a, a piece on um, 
on MSNBC, and I was just watching how they portrayed the Bundy Ranch situation. And it's always, well, the federal government is God, and that this guy didn't pay his taxes. And I'm not bringing to bring it back like that. But then they, they kept saying – they must have said it seven or eight times, and I understand that they're a left-wing um, news organization, but they kept saying the right, the right, the right. This is what the right does. This is what the extreme does. This is what – and it really makes me upset because why can't this guy just be an American? Why can't people just be people? Why don't we have to put labels on things? And then it gets me to a point where Josh was at where you get frustrated and you're like and – you, and you come to this realization that – the divide and conquer is so ingrained now, and the, and, and the division between Republicans and Democrats is so wide. I think that there's a portion of the population that's coming to a, a realization that we can have a conversation, but it, I think it's a very, very minuscule portion of it. And like you said, Josh, I get frustrated watching the touchdown play get run. I get frustrated watching something like Coney 2012. You know what the first thing that I did after I watched that video was? I went and looked up the natural resources in the country, and I was like, holy <laughs> crap, they got a bunch of oil down there. It's like, don't give a flying rip about people getting killed in other countries, people. You have to understand this. That were killed, you know, 14 years ago, of course. <laughs> correct. But what they care about is, like, uh, take the Sudan, for example, where they, had a, where they had people getting massacred by the hundreds of thousands, by people with machetes. What do we do? Nah, it's fine. It's fine. The actual, they have a documentary about it where the UN was actually there. These people come into the UN fortified zone. It's a school. They come into the zone. They say, please help us. There is a clan with machetes coming to kill everybody. And the UN goes, all right, boys, let's pack it up. And they literally packed up their stuff and left, and people were running behind the trucks begging for soldiers to shoot them because they were going to get chopped up with machetes. You're talking about Sudan or Rwanda, because that's exactly what happened in Rwanda. It uh, might have been Rwanda. I think I, I, well, I think I conflated my two um, my two nation states there. I'm sorry. No, but well, 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 it's, go it's, go. it's important to realize in uh, in uh, in Sudan that was one of the seven countries targeted um, in the PNAC plan that General Wesley Clark talked about that he heard about just a couple weeks after 9/11, mm-hmm. um, and people don't really think about that. Somalia was one. They have a major uh, CIA operation operating in Somalia and across the border in Kenya. Um, they're, uh, and, and Sudan was one. And so this, uh, this split between North and South Sudan, or Sudan and South Sudan was CIA engineered. Um, it's not just, you know, the peop- uh, what blows me away is Americans keep hearing about these things. Well, they probably never heard about either one of those. But um, but they hear about uh, what what we've done in Afghanistan, in Iraq, uh, Libya, Syria. All the facts are, are not all the facts, but enough facts are out there to to make it obvious that we're in the middle of all of that crap. And people don't stop and think, hmm, why are we engaged in all these wars all at once? I mean, we, we, it's never been like this in history where we engage in all these wars at one time, and people are looking at each one separately as if it's a separate thing. Right. And, and yet it was announced in 2000 that this was the intention, mm-hmm. and they're just carrying it out right in front of us. Uh, it's just, it just blows me away that, that people don't even ask questions, even if they never heard of General Clark or, or PNAC or Strategy for Rebuilding America's uh, 
defenses. It's just so obvious. Why are they not asking the questions? Well, I think that I think that it's twofold, and I'll, I'll go to you in a second, Josh, because it looks like you do want to make a comment. I think that it's twofold, Rick. I think that number one, they they still enjoy the creature comforts of empire, and that and uh, number two, they're under hardcore mind control. That and I mean, those are the two blazingly. Um, clear to, from my perspective because once I broke the conditioning and once I broke the mind control that we're under, I I, I literally don't watch television anymore. I, I read books. I'll, I'll watch documentaries on TV. But I found a, thos, a thirst for knowledge and now watching some idiot on television, like watching Kim Kardashian because I was just – I turned my TV on because my mom was over here last night watching television and – and um, actually did watch um, American Idol. Nobody laughed, but that was actually really – it was – you know what? I would rather watch people with some semblance of talent than watching absolutely uh, no-name, um, somewhat pseudo-celebrities walk around and talk on their phones um, on secure phone like this so that everybody can hear their conversation. And it's, um, it's really appalling that that is – that's what we consider entertainment and that most people, that's culture. For America, that's the American culture: is reality television, uh, sports entertainment, or just celebrities in general. And if you talk about geopolitical um, geopolitical moves, power players in the geopolitical spectrum, we're considered the weird people, and that's what to me is absolutely astonishing. Because I think this stuff is fascinating. I mean, what, what is not fascinating about this, Rick? Like you said before, our our CIA funding groups to, to destabilize the nation. I'm sorry, your sound just got really bad. Were you asking me that as a question? That was really awesome. I think I got a uh, had a pop up. Hold on. <clears throat> oh, okay, okay. Hey, let's get to that in a second. Hold on, stop, stop. That's that just. Welcome to live radio, everybody. I'm so sorry, Rick. I um, <laughs> I, you want to talk about losing your train of thought? Some video just started in the background for now. Sure, you were asking about CIA funding of the revolution in Ukraine. Was that, that it? Is that not cool to people? How is that not interesting? That your tax dollars are going to destabilize another nation full of regular everyday people, just like you and me, that want to go and eat and go out and have a have a cocktail with their friends or go out and have dinner. But no, they don't get to because your government sends a bunch of guys over there, goons most likely, to stir up a rebellion, to destabilize an entire nation all over a bunch of money that doesn't even exist. Wrap your head around that. Well, well this is this, let, me, let me just address that question, Josh, since he, since he asked me. Um, this is part of what was in uh, the intercepted telephone call by Victoria Nuland, the uh, Undersecretary of State, there, uh, who's uh, in the middle of the things in Ukraine. Uh, one of the things that was left out was that she admitted that the U.S. had spent $5 billion setting up this uh, so-called revolution in Ukraine. Now, I never saw the accounting receipts, so I don't know what all that includes, but uh, what the USA does and NED do is they suppose they supposedly fund pro-democracy organizations. Typically, these are organizations that oppose any government uh, that was not that is not cooperative with the Anglo-American Empire. Um, and one of the things that they fund is uh, 
this what are called gladio organizations in the various European countries. They were established after World War II um, to basically uh, violently resist uh, any moves toward communism or really ultimately uh, in any, any uh, group that might take power of a government uh, through the democratic process or otherwise uh, to oppose anyone who wouldn't uh, cooperate with the Anglo-American Empire and just call them communists. There you go. And that's the strategy. That's what the Cold War was all about. Um, Gladio was operating all the way through there. They overthrew the Greek communist government in the late 60s. Um, they were involved in all kinds of uh, <coughs> illegal activities. Uh, they established a separate power base, their own paramilitary force, for um, what became the leading uh, party in Italy up until I think it was the 1980s or early 90s when they were discovered and uh, they had a massive investigation and so the particular paramilitary organization that was set up there was Gladio and they basically called the whole program Operation Gladio because it was all all throughout uh, Europe and, and so what we're seeing here it probably wasn't started right after World War II in Ukraine it was probably started later after the fall of the wall when they had access to set up these kind of uh, paramilitary forces uh, and they uh, were working with fascists, open admirers of Hitler. Um, and uh, these are uh, uh, right sector and uh, I think it's Sloboda, two major parties, or one is a party, Sloboda is a party, uh, I believe right sector up until the so-called revolution before the coup in other words. I uh, was nothing but a paramilitary organization. Josh, maybe, maybe you know. Yeah, I mean, they were far more known as as a right wing rabble rouser extremist than any kind of political organization. That's for sure. Right. So yeah. that's so, but, so that's what we're that's what we're dealing with. And then, like like you were saying, it, it's um, you know, when we have these when we have these countries being destabilized under under the guise of communism, and Josh and I have done. An, extensive or uh, Josh has done extensive research I, I guess I would probably be a fraction of what he is but understanding that these these power blocks were set up to sell weapons to sell fear to sell fear on both sides you know Russians were always told well you got to stop imperialism of the United States and then the United States people were fed the propaganda well you got to stop communism so and, and then guess who sits at the top the same people that always sit at the top fund both sides of all wars typically sell, sell infrastructure and and uh, and metal and parts and, and things to the Bolsheviks so that they can build up a country so that they can have this. I mean, mm-hmm. their long-term strategic goals are very, very good, and they're very well thought out. But it's like Josh said, I'm really getting tired. I mean, this is – I mean, taking a football analogy, everybody, and I'm going to go down the football path here. This is watching – this is like watching a triple flea flicker on every play and then you sitting in the crowd going, they're going to run and they're like, no, 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 they're going to run it right up the middle. I bet you. You watch. And then they run the flea flicker, and then they score a touchdown. Once again, every play that runs a touchdown. Josh, you've been itching. I'm sorry. Sorry, you guys, you, you guys give me a second. You guys have uh, said a lot of stuff in the in the interim, so I'm going to cover a little bit of ground here. You got the balance I mean, of the show. You got the balance of the show. Go get it. No, don't, don't sweat it. But, <laughs> but what, uh, what Rick was touching on earlier, talking about Gladio and, and uh, you know, these – CIA-backed paramilitary groups that, that were, you know, spread throughout Europe. Um, uh, FBI and CIA whistleblower Sibel Edmonds, a lot of people don't think of her as a CIA whistleblower, but that's what her case is about because, you know, she was, of course, approached by 
these CIA-backed Chechen terrorists while she was working for the FBI to essentially be a spy for them. Uh, so a lot of her whistleblowing case is interesting because you say she's an FBI whistleblower, but when she has all these geopolitical revelations, uh, people don't always connect the dots. But one of her most fantastic revelations was that of Gladio Part B, uh, and she exposed this in a series with James Corbett where she says essentially that Gladio B uh, started in, in about the 1970s and was used uh, because these, the Anglo-American establishment, but specifically American intelligence, knew that this Cold War game was just about up. And they started to foment these kind of rebellions, not only in the Middle East, which was a large part of Gladio Part B, but also in the Central Asian Caucasus, in Chechnya, in, in Kosovo, in, in the Ukraine. And where did the supposed bombers for the Boston bombing come from? Uh, that's a, that's a, ties into all of this, absolutely. Uh, she did a, an excellent interview with Lou Rockwell talking about the extension of, of this. But, but Jake, you had mentioned at the beginning of this uh, the, the, the Rwandan example. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so fascinating to me in a, in a very sickening way that, that this is, we need to remember, old imperialist games. Yep. Old imperialist games running all over again. And in the history of the Rwandan example, uh, we've got the Belgian acceptance of the League of Nations that says you get Rwanda. Of course, the League of Nations uh, drafted by um, uh, Edward, Edward Mandel House and, uh, and these, these Anglo-American establishment people within the Wilson administration. They use it to grow coffee, but they also use it as a, as a laboratory for eugenics. Right. Because they set up this false dichotomy where they, they, they create the Hutus and the Tutsis uh, and, and pit them against one another and make uh, everyone carry racial identity cards. And I, 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 I get them mixed up, but one is, uh, is you know, this tall, great African nation from the people from the north who descended from the pharaohs of Egypt. And this was literally the propaganda that was used. Sounds familiar, and, like Nazi Germany once again. Yeah, and then the, the other group were, of course, the subordinates. And then when the Belgians left... They essentially said uh, they felt bad, so they armed uh, the... Rick, you're going to have to help me out on this one. Uh, well, the Hutus were the majority. I think it was the... Uh, and the Tutsis, Tutsis were the, 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 the leading, the, the leaders. Right, so and I the, think they were considered the, the so-called cultural elite, yeah. Yeah, so the, the Belgians armed uh, the, the Hutus as they were leaving, thinking that that would equalize the situation. Of course, it turns into this horrible massacre, and in American media, it's presented as just that, this horrible massacre that has no reason, and nobody could have stopped it, and we're so sorry it happened, and... And really, it's these old imperialist games that we've been playing forever. And once and this similar situation is going to play out in in the Ukraine and is unfolding before our eyes. And I just hope that this time, you know, in this digital sphere that we live in now, we can someone will be able to say when 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 excuse me, but shit really starts to pop off. Mm-hmm. People like ourselves can say, no, 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 no. Look, look, this is what's been happening. Here's why. There's a story here. It's not just senseless violence. Triple flea flicker touchdown. <laughs> well, well, I don't think it's it's going to be the same thing. I don't think there will be civil war in Ukraine because Germany won't stand for it, for one thing. You know, another thing was in that Newland in, uh, interview, and probably the key thing that wasn't um, being discussed was why Newland said, fuck the EU. People, people kind of should be wondering that, and yet it wasn't discussed, so therefore nobody thought about it. You know, people who listen to mainstream news. But she said, fuck the EU, because they had arranged a peace deal. And, and the next day, 
the neo-Nazis started assassinating people in the square on both sides yeah. and um, used that as a pretext for taking over the government and claiming, you know, it was all in self-defense. Well, the people in Medan Square, when they heard about the agreement, uh, appeared to, I'm told, appeared to overwhelmingly support it. Um, but then right sector said, no, that's not what we want. And uh, the, and I'm sure that, that none of the neo-fascists did right sector or otherwise, even though they were fighting among themselves. They they did want to, they wanted to um, take down the government. They didn't want elections. They wouldn't have been elected. Right. They were a minority. Right. Um, and besides, the first thing they did was sell out their people by selling out the IMF. So they weren't going to stay in office. It wasn't about uh, a democratic revolution at all. It was about doing the bidding of the empire and getting their reward for it. Oh. Now, yes, there was a ra- there was a racist element. Um, these people are neo-Nazis, and so a lot of it was just bloodlust for getting back at the Russians for things they did in the 1920s. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Crazy. You, I mean, if you think about what the the Russians did in the 1920s, that's pretty. I mean, they obviously do have a beef with them because of the the way that they balkanized the country and the way that they, I mean, essentially put them on a plantation down there. But, but that's a whole different, you know. Well, they slaughtered over a million of them. Right. Exactly. I mean, they. Yeah. It was. It was. Uh, it was horrible. And then they brought the Slavs in. And then, anyway, not not time for a history lesson. But um, I think that I th- was was Russia and keep correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Russia going to offer the Ukraine money? Was that part of a deal that they were going to give them some kind of like um, no payback loan? And that's when all this stuff started really going going downhill quickly. Well, I don't know the exact conditions, but as I recall, it was 18 billion dollars, which was way more than the, the EU was willing to offer, even in the form of an IMF loan with all the strings that are attached to that, including you know, the austerity provisions that always come along with an IMF loan. Um, but the, IRA, uh, the Russia was not only offering uh, almost enough to cover their entire national debt. I think it was only one billion short of covering their entire national debt. But of course, they also give them a very steep discount on natural gas, and that's what the country runs on. Right, and that's, um, that's the majority of the dispute was over, especially in Crimea, because they had that they had that um, pipeline going through Crimea, and they and the EU basically wanted that to. Uh, not, was it the EU that really wanted it? I think the EU really wanted it in order to to be able to control the flow of gas, just like what we saw over in, um, I mean, Syria, it's the same thing. There's only two things that countries ever go to war over people, and it's never people against people. It's either they're going over to war for money or they're going over to war for energy. Those are the two mm-hmm. things that you got, basically. Or you got well, a eugenist. You know, well, you just, got, you just got to the point, though, that I was uh, going to make. That's why uh, she said, fuck the EU. The EU made a deal because they knew they needed that, that natural gas, and if they totally destabilized the country, it could interrupt the supply of gas to Germany especially. Uh, okay, so that was yeah. Ger- that was the German tie-in that you were talking about, where they didn't, where they're not going to allow civil war because of the natural gas pipeline, and that, that basically the, the majority of Europe has to have to sustain the standard of living that they're accustomed to currently. Correct? Right, and everything that Merkel's saying now about sanctions and all that uh, that nonsense is just posturing. The German people would hang her if she if she let this thing uh, deteriorate with her uh, encouragement. And I think Obama is also um, <clears throat> engaging in kabuki theater. These sanctions that he's introduced aren't serious. Um, 
if they were serious, it could destabilize the entire world monetary supply. If they cut off uh, access of uh, uh, the ability of uh, Russians to use um, Western banking, for instance, uh, well, what choice would they have but to convert off the U.S. dollar? It's already on the verge of collapse. That's, you mentioned earlier about China investing in the Bundy Ranch and all over the country. Um, why are they doing that? Because they have to do something with their dollars before they come become worth. Oh man, that's why they're buying movie theaters and all kinds of stuff. Do we lose Rick? Uh, I think Rick? yeah, we had a little bit of a connection there. Okay. I think. Um. Well, if all right, Josh, go ahead, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get him back up. Yeah. Well, I did want to say I'm, I was looking for this article on Zero Hedge. Uh, some uh, it was a few weeks ago, but it, I, I believe it was something on the magnitude of 30% of Western Europe runs on, on Russian natural gas. No, there was a graphic that um, that Paul Joseph Watson did for Infowars, and it was uh, it was pretty substantial. Uh, the lowest number I saw was like 17% in that region. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is vital to the to the lifeblood of, of Western Europe in general. But when we talk about the the Crimea specifically, uh, it, it really goes to show just the brash arrogance of of the NATO players right now. This is insanity to think that in some you know the same play that that they run on on these South American and and African essentially hell holes that have been created by the Anglo American establishment now for the past at least 150 years, right? They're trying to run this play on essentially uh, a, a, a fairly modern Slavic nation with, with powerful allies, mm-hmm. right? That, that isn't na- necessarily something that can be imperialized so easily. And when we talk about, again, the Crimea, to think that NATO thought that this, this essentially third world takeover plan could work on the heart of the Black Sea Fleet, that, that Russia would give up its, its major no, seaport, its only major seaport. Yeah, we don't need any ports over there. We're fine. Mm-hmm. We're fine. No, no, no. Well, you, you know, there's another <laughs> Rick, angle. A video from you, but uh, you have audio now. We don't have any video from you, but we do have audio now. Were you getting video before? Yeah. That's weird because I couldn't see anything. But oh, strange. What I wanted to say is there's another way <clears throat> of looking at this, too. Robert Perry's uh, been writing about uh, the Obama foreign policy and how a lot of what he's doing can be viewed as trying to outflank the neocons. Mm. And the neocons um, have a, a, a tremendous amount of influence because of careerists in the state and the, and the CIA who don't give a crap who's in the White House at any given time. Um, they're following the long-term foreign policy strategy that's laid down by these international corporate terrorists who run the empire mm-hmm. and are uh, trying to create a permanent fascist corporate new world order or corporatist new world order. Take your pick of terms. Yeah. Um, but but uh, these people don't necessarily do uh, what the president directs. And in fact, they may, they may do things <clears throat> without the president's knowledge because of the doctrine of plausible deniability. Much of what the CIA does... Um, they would never say whether or not they told the president. And the president won't say either uh, frequently sure. because he doesn't want to be, be held responsible and the nation held responsible for their activities if they get caught. So that's plausible deniability. It's been place, in place since one year after the foundation of the CIA, and it's why they have been allowed to do whatever they want almost since they started, including murdering Kennedy. 
Oh, I I, I would um, wholly attest to all of this. I mean, it's when you, when you're looking at that is one of the big things that I. Uh, I mean, if we could make a, once again, uh, I'm a libertarian, so I don't really believe that writing things down on a piece of paper is going to really solve anything. But if we can make a law that says that anybody that uses plausible deniability anymore is is done. You're stricken from whatever office that you're in, because that is what that is the game that they run. And as you were saying, Rick, yeah, all of these things, they do run clandestine operations. They do run operations off the books. And then... And and then with the plausible deniability that you do have, it's like, well, we didn't really know that NGOs were going to go over there and start stuff, even though they're handing out the same flyers that they did over in Egypt with the exact same pictures on it, just changing the names and and changing the actual changing the actual language so that it fits the local language. I mean, they were literally running around with the same flyers they were in Egypt as they were in the Ukraine. So. We're getting to this point, like you said, triple re- triple reverse flea flicker touchdown. Absolutely, Josh. Um, that um, we do have to we do have to start holding people accountable. But I don't I don't know how we start this process. I mean, you see, there's too much division in Congress. So when is it going to be the people's turn to start holding people accountable? I guess that's probably the question that we should all ask ourselves. When is it? When is it going to be the people actually doing what we're supposed to do in this nation, and that is we're supposed to hold the elected officials accountable, not letting the elect, not letting the you know the the wolves run the hen house kind of deal. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, touching really quickly on on what Rick was saying earlier, I I don't know if I necessarily agree with the the opinion that I guess this this author was uh, was espousing when he said that the Obama administration is somehow trying to. Uh, outmaneuver, you know, neoconservative elements when, of course, we have uh, Skull and Bonesman John Kerry running the State Department, which I guess could be considered uh, uh, an intelligence organization just as much as the CIA. Mm-hmm. Um, but but maybe I guess that, that ties into maybe uh, we should broaden our definition of neocon to include people like Hillary Clinton and, uh, and John Kerry. Um, well, but, we, did, we did in the last show. Yeah, that, they, are, they are neocons, and and so That's is Obama true. to an extent. But what I'm saying is what Perry said is that there's a range of, of support for the neocon policies. And the radical neocons, what, I'm, what he said was he didn't talk about Ukraine. Uh, uh, what he, didn't, he didn't say that that's what happened in Ukraine. He said that it's certainly possible um, that they did it. And he made an argument for why Obama would not want to have uh, backed this plan and that's that he had already established a relationship with Putin that was very useful for trying to defuse the situation in Syria and prevent us from getting so involved that we started World War III, also negotiating with Iran. Um, to, to, to go to all that trouble to extricate himself from the predicament he was in in Syria because of his red line comment, only to turn around and slap Putin in the face with this, it it's hard to come up with a theory that 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 makes that make sense. Um, yeah, and, I, and Perry's theory explained it pretty well, as far as I was concerned. That's very true, and I, I think that you know that's an I'm kind of eating my own words here, but this is uh, it's important to analyze it from this perspective because when we talk about globalization and the new world order and the Anglo-American establishment, we so often present this as this kind of cartoonish villainy. <laughs> and it's more it's more than that because clearly 
someone like Zbigniew Brzezinski, who I would call an, an avowed globalist uh, and, and someone who's very invested in, in some kind of new world order based paradigm, of course, writes in strategic vision that he thinks conflict with Russia is the worst possible thing for America. We need to be extending the olive branch and creating a truly northern global union, right? You know, a top, literally a top-down control system. Uh, and, and he's been very vocal in his opposition uh, to, to some of the things that have been going on in the Ukraine, although now he's kind of starting to, to shift his, his, his tune a little bit. Um, but it is interesting that there are two very clearly different, differing and, and competing ideologies, at the very least, within this kind of spectrum. And, of course, the neocon, very brash, uh, direct, no-holds-barred approach versus some of the more uh, subtle acts of subversion, uh, they, they do play out very differently. But, I mean, they're, they're, they're both very dangerous, obviously, both imperialism. But when we talk about um, this system of plausible deniability, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, with Susan Lindauer. Yeah, she's been on my show several times. Yeah, I mean, this is – but, Rick, and when we talk about the idea of plausible deniability, this is how deep this system is entrenched in leverage, right? We, we're talking about people who, in some instances, in the cases of the CIA, NSA, uh, and I would even extend it to the State Department, uh, there, there are people that are running – cowboy-esque wild west villainy shows within these organizations that that are insulated from from all of politics mm -hmm. yep well you know you said something about <clears throat> cia and and may, maybe being close to the state actually i wrote an article recently for my blog on soldiers for peace international called the science and art of propaganda and uh, <clears throat> what it what it did was uh, point out that the cia uh, in the late 40s started something called Operation Paperclip, which actually grew out of efforts by British intelligence and, and OSS to influence reporting uh, on the war to uh, initially to get the U.S. into the war um, and to discredit the anti-interventionists and then later on uh, just for general propaganda purposes. Well, from there... Um, the CIA started something called Operation Paperclip, where they they had all these contacts with uh, major news uh, casters in the United States, newspapers, uh, and around the world, and they set up a whole network where they basically supplied them with the official storyline of the empire, and um, the the mass media has essentially. Uh, uh, just fallen into line with that, you know. It, they weren't complete. It isn't like they controlled the media entirely. But when <clears throat> President uh, Bush, in particular, stopped denying them access if they asked any difficult questions, they just became stenographers. So essentially, we have the CIA writing the script and the um, corporate media just dutifully reporting it. And uh, the, there is very little truth at all coming out of the corporate media now, at least when it comes to international affairs. So uh, this is this is not some crazy plot. The, the CIA did start this. Now, after uh, after the uh, Iran thing in, in 1953, um, there was a little bit of blowback on the CIA because it was very obvious what they did. They walked in and paid a bunch of thugs, like much like in the Ukraine, they paid a bunch of thugs to cause trouble and ultimately overthrow the duly elected government of Mossadegh. Um, so at some point later on, quite a bit later on, I think, maybe even as early as late as the 80s, 
Uh, they basically turn over their propaganda uh, function to uh, USAID and NED, which are government-funded. Um, they they're closely work with the uh, State Department, and basically they've taken over the propaganda function. But it, it works the same way. Right. So, well, so the CIA and, and, and State, they're one thing. I mean, look at Benghazi. Yep. That there were 67 CIA agents and 13 State Department officials, and you don't think the State Department officials knew they were they were doing the CIA's work? Yeah. <laughs> it, it really does. It, it, you do run into. I mean, you're running the gamut when you're talking about these alphabet soup agencies, and all of these things came under heavy scrutiny. And I think it was the Church Committee hearing was um, where they where they really scrutinized uh, the involvement of the CIA and, and all these alphabet soup agencies and really started exposing this. But people forget, and, and then we have glorified propaganda both locally um, through television and through uh, mass media where they portray these organizations as something that's always good for the American people. And now we have the, admitted, the CIA admittedly spying on the American people, which is a huge no-no. That was one of the stipulations of setting up the CIA. It's like, okay – you guys can spy on other nations. That's fine. All right. You can gather intelligence. That's okay. But if you ever spy on the citizens, that's where we cross the line. But we never, we actually, as the citizens, have never held their feet to the fire and said, okay, you can't really do this. And then we make excuses for empire. We make excuses for the creature comforts that we've gotten from the empire. And it turns into what we got now. We get a police state. Because now there's nowhere else to turn in the world but the United States. And so. Unfortunately, we're one of the freer countries in the world, and we're not really that free. So where does that leave us? And that actually is a great transition, and I did not even write that into a script, everybody. So let's go ahead. <laughs> we're going to put bookends on the, uh, the Ukrainian situation. We'll come back to that in another show because I'm sure that there's going to be plenty more to talk about in the future. So let's talk about the future of the United States and the future of us as the inhabitants. Where do we see this going? And I saw a... A, um, a clip today, and I want to play this from you, and this is from My Fox New York. And Josh, please do not laugh, but um, uh, mute your mic or something because you're going to be in hysterics at the end of this. This is a clip from, um, this is, uh, excuse me, CBS? Is it CBS or My Fox New York? It's about a minute and a half, and it's two very attractive women selling you on the future of your slavery. So here we go. Hold on one second. What? Uh, Jake? Yeah? Are you playing this locally? Yeah, can you not hear it? No, I don't think I don't think it's broadcasting to the uh, world. Oh, it actually it actually just got cut off. Hold on a second. Now I've got my I've got my monitors clicked off. It actually just crashed on me. Oh my goodness. No, the uh, the website just crashed on me. Well, t- tell us about it. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. We're getting there. Okay. <laughs> You know, I don't like reading things unless it's for, like, really... All right, so I would actually like... I mean, because they got nice voices. Let's let them tell you. All right, so tell me if you can hear this, Josh. Tell me if you can't, okay? No? No. Got nothing. Okay, nothing. That's really weird, because that usually works. Okay, so anyway. So they talk about, let's welcome to the future of money, and it says... Will there be no registers at the cash or no cash registers at the store, or maybe somebody else you're carrying, like a watch or a phone or a ring, is emitting a signal that can be your currency? 
This might sound like the stuff of science fiction, but futurist and social scientist Heather Siegel says that it's not. And she says, and so rather than having to wait in line, Josh, once again, everybody hates to wait in line. So this is going to be so convenient for you to be a, uh, a slave. Uh, rather than wait in line from time to time, you'll actually be able to pay just like boom. And that's what I want. And really the fact to be able to check out really quickly and know that it might be secure as well. Social media sites uh, like Facebook have already got algorithms to recognize your faces and photos. Isn't that so nice? Uh, Single <laughs> says a time when the store and cameras maybe utilize a similar technology so the companies will know that you're in the stores. They already have this stuff. They're just letting the slaves know about it. They've had it for like 10 years. Uh, this might sound creepy or scary, but in some ways it's a little bit. But it's always for us to be, excuse me, but it allows us to to kind of go through the store and they know who we are and they always are kind of normally like to buy, know the things that we kind of normally like to buy and what we might buy. And it makes it r- much easier to reduce fraud. Um, once again, always to protect you in some way, shape or form. Someone can't Im- impersonate you, so that's what Siegel says. So that's how they spend all this stuff. But basically they're talking about what the future is going to be, and that's skipping down to the very at the end of the article, customers register their social security numbers and phone numbers with the installed terminal along with the payment information, and after they pay via vein scanning, the company claims the payment process and it takes less than five seconds. So now, not only do we get radiated when we go through the uh, terminal at the airport, but you're just going to go ahead and, Rick, just register your social security number, register it with your phone, and then they're just going to vein scan you. So you don't even need the mark of the beast to, to go ahead and initiate <laughs> yourself into a brave new world. They're just going to scan your veins and say, look, that's Rick Stagenborg because his veins look like Rick's. So I'll go to you last, Josh, because you'll be able to hit us with all kind of anecdotes and, and, and back it up with you know crazy – research from these people that wrote books 50 years ago or whatever future. but Rick what do you think what do you make of all this stuff well I think, I think it's freaking crazy I've pretty much given up the idea that we're ever going to have privacy again um, which is one of the reasons it's so critical that we take control of our own government you asked earlier you know how do we do that how, how do we um how does our how are our interests ever going to be served? And I talk I've talked on the show before about my idea, which people may disagree with, but I think we have to pass a constitutional amendment that's going to reform campaign finance, declare that money is not speech and corporations don't have constitutional rights. And I think we can do it. And the only way we can do that is to elect a, a Congress that will support um, that amendment. Uh, is that possible? Well. Um, Shows like this help people understand that there are issues that are more important than uh, the partisan nonsense that we spend our time arguing about or, or that the corporate media does. If we put that crap aside and just realize, you know, nothing we really want is ever going to happen as long as we're letting corporations run the country. We're not a democracy. And if we really want to be one, we have to look past those party labels. We have to pick candidates on our own not whoever Fox or NSNBC or whoever tells us to vote for, not the ones that are funded by these corporations. We need to pick our own and promote them and work for them and get them elected um, by making this a campaign issue. Uh, It's not easy, 
but I think people are going to realize eventually that that is the first step that we absolutely have to take if we're ever going to control our own government. Um, and well, then, you mentioned that because there was a state that just ratified it today in the news that said that they were um, – uh, Lee Camp posted something about it on Facebook, and I'll try to find it really quick, about there was the first state to pass or to nullify the um, – whatever that stupid law that they passed that says that uh, corporations are – or yeah, corporations are people. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and pull that up. So, Josh, uh, or Rick, go ahead and finish your point, and then Josh will go to you. Well, that's that's just my main point. I mean, um, we can talk about everything else. We can talk about who controls what, but ultimately it's mostly the banksters that control everything. Um, and when, when Adbusters talked about having Occupy, they said uh, they advised people that wanted to participate that they should target the banks, and the need for a constitutional amendment, the, the corruption of the electoral process. Um, <clears throat> but Occupy chose not to organize. They didn't want to prioritize. Um, we, that's what we have to do. We have to organize around something simple, something that's really at the root of the problem, and we have to um, do the very difficult job of getting this amendment passed. Unfortunately, um, there are dozens of groups around the country who've been working on this since Citizens United or before. There we go. And they're, they're finally starting to work together. And, and so I, I think it's going to happen. It's going to take time. It's going to take a hell of a lot more effort. But people, first of all, have to believe it's possible, and they have to understand why it's absolutely necessary. It's more important than anything else we can work on, including global climate change. Uh, because we won't do anything about global climate change in, until we take the government out of the hands of the banks that control the oil industry. Absolutely. All right, so, um, Josh, you've got your um, – well, we got three minutes left in the show, but we're going to have to do some overdrive to go ahead and cover this because this will get a little bit end up. So we'll do well, and now you can do overdrive. How can I do overdrive? Uh, I guess dual – is the blog talk connected directly to LMR or – I'm not sure. All right, uh, back of the house stuff. Um if you guys lose us on LMR, whoever's listening out there, never, never, um, you know, uh, Liberty Movement Radio Land, uh, you can catch the end of this podcast. Uh, it will be, the video version will be up on YouTube probably sometime tonight or tomorrow. And you can listen to the other one at my website, wearenotcattle.net. Uh, please don't go through Blog Talk and give them the hits. Please give me the hits because I'm trying to do this for the peoples. All right, so go ahead, Josh. Well, I guess uh, barring... Uh, anthropogenic global warming when we talk about uh you know the campaign finance reform and 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 finding you know go back to the vein scans and stuff like that after you <laughs> yeah don't don't worry we're, we're, we're coming there but it, it would also re- require us to... this is going to be like a 20 minute ordeal i should have given you the floor 20 minutes ago Oh no. Okay. Well, but we'll sk- we'll skip that. We'll skip that with you. Go ahead. Go ahead, man. This- no. All, all all I wanted to say is that you know, J.P. Morgan is essentially a CIA subcontractor. Has been for many years. AIG American International Group uh, was set up by C.V. Starr, who was a CIA agent and a founding member of the Office of Strategic Services. All this crazy stuff. So to to truly you know, clean up the streets. Once we start digging into the books of these people, we're not just going to find that they can't donate to political parties. We're going to find that we need to put them in handcuffs. And when that happens, it's going to mean terrible things for the American economy. There's, there's no bones about it. It's, it's, it's going to be really, really hard for people once, once corporate America and Wall Street is, is not the way it is today. So, you know, that you'd have to ask Amer- the American people to swallow a really tough pill that I don't think that they're 
they're brave enough to swallow, quite, quite frankly. <laughs> don't don't tell them that because we, we have to do it even though it's going to hurt. It's like oh sur- yeah, well, like the, surgery. You know, I mean, if if it's going to lead to death if we don't operate, then we have to operate. Yeah, if, I mean, if we wait longer, it'll be much worse. But getting back yeah. to, I think that Rick is really trying to push this privacy thing, and that's why he turned his video off. <laughs> but but really, get, getting back to this this uh, technocratic nightmare that we're being birthed into, um, I would personally, I would love a future. I'd love a future where we don't need checkout people at the lines. We don't need to grow our own food because we have robots that will grow ethical food for us and, and harvest it for us. And he, all of humanity can live in abundance and we can get paid to do stuff like this. Right. I would love that world. Um, unfortunately, the, that, the technology that could create that world is not being used to do those things. That's what it's being sold to you as. But this old idea of cybernetics is a Greek word, and this unification of, of technocracy. Uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski, we call it technocracy so often, but I think we should start using his term, which is technotronics. Sure. Because it's, technoc- it's a technocratic organization system with this new electronic digital surveillance component, which is what we're entering. So when we see this kind of minority report-esque world um, being erected around us, uh, this, is, this is something that has been a plan of globalism for a very long time. And it's sad to see that even in the alternative media, we have a grand deal of deception around these things. Um, documentaries like the Zeitgeist series, the third uh, movie program, everything. Josh. Yeah, the third movie in that series. I forget what they call the their supercomputer overlord. Um, but this it's some kind of central computer. Ah, so yeah, some kind of central god computer that replaces corporate America and government and just registers everybody and distributes food evenly. And it's this. It's literally a reboot of Leninist technocracy. Only now there's a computer involved, right? Uh, the the RBE is the acronym, but I forget what the uh, uh, the, the it stands for, but the RBE, the the central computer of the of Zeitgeist fame, uh, has been an idea since the 60s, right? This kind of technotronic future is an old idea, and it was birthed by essentially uh, communists uh, and and uh, and centralized authorities. And I, I you can't even really call them communists; they're more fascist than communists, right? They're central planners for mm-hmm. the part. I mean, then that's what they refer to themselves as. Well, we're we're the central planners, and I mean, it doesn't take much to. I mean, even if you read Thomas Sowell's Basics of Economics, it'll show you, and, and and he proves it over and over and over again that no matter how many times and no matter what kind of ribbon they put on it, any kind of any kind of mastering of the the population through um through the management of resources never ever 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 works because everybody's tastes are different everybody wants different things what if i don't want a bicycle well too bad you get a bicycle but what if i don't want a bicycle i would pay somebody for something other than a bicycle well that's capitalism we don't support that so but what do you think of this josh do you think i mean once again i think this is a really cool idea obviously i would love to live in a future where I didn't know that every device that I buy spies on me, where I didn't know that every device that I buy gathers data on me to go send it to some NQTEL data center where they create a where they create a profile on me so that they can and that's what's so funny about reading that article it's like they've already got profiles on your purchasing uh, trends anyway they already know when you go off the reservation anyway so well, it's not like it's not like this is something new and it's like oh 
This will stop fraud because Bill only buys Twinkies on Tuesday, and Bill goes <laughs> on Wednesday. That's not Bill. I, I'm I'm sorry. I have to I have to cut in right here because it's so funny that you you mentioned that. Um, I was I had to I was trying to explain this to a Speedway employee the other day because uh, they always ask you, do you have a Speedy card? No, I don't have a Speedy card, and I don't want a Speedy card. Well, why don't you want a Speedy card? You get so many rewards, and you get the savings, and murder, 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 murder. And I was like, no, corporate America tracks everything that I do on that and feeds it into algorithms that are sold to other corporations, and it's it's part of this horrible control grid. And they the uh, the the registrar the person at the register looks back at me and she says, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't understand. You don't have to sign up with a speedy card. You don't have to give your name, your, your information. And if you never pay with a credit card and only pay with cash, then we'll never know who you are. And I just turned around and I was like, you see that camera back there? Do you know what kind of software is running on the, cam- uh, on the, on the computer that records uh, that footage? Oh, uh, well, no, we just turn it on in the back. Well, maybe you should ask these questions because even though corporate America is doing this to sell you stuff, at the same time, we have the, the EFF, the, the Electronic Freedom Foundation, just received a Freedom of Information Act request that says that the federal government, the FBI specifically, has a, wants to create a, a facial recognition mugshot database with 52 million photos by 2015 and have it running on all of corporate America, including Speedway's servers. So this is also you know, being used uh, as, as overt government tyranny. Right, and that's why they want to get you into the system, and that's why they want to arrest everybody. That's why, that's why there's all these initiatives to get you on the reservation so that once they have you, now they can track trace. And, and then you'll walk into a store, and it won't say, hi, Josh Wiley. It'll say, hello, thought criminal. Thank you for coming into our nice little facility today. Would you like to buy those ho-hos that you buy every Tuesday? No, I would not. Look, ho-hos are 15% off today, Josh Wiley. Uh, anyway, I, I don't mean to make a mockery of this, but it really does – once you understand the system, once you understand, like Josh said, the full paradigm. And even as as much as we know about this, Josh, we probably know like 10% of what really goes on throughout the entire organization of the Alphabet Soup organizations to corporate America all the way down to your local government. Who knows how much your local government knows about you when they pull you over? I mean – so I was actually thinking about this, Josh, and I don't, I've never done it, so I might do it. I might file the Freedom of Information Act request on myself to see what will come up. So that could be very interesting. Then I might write a blog about it. But anyway, let's do it. No, let's do it GCHQ style. You know how Britain spies on America and America spies on Britain, and they just trade records on you, and then you file one on me. Great. There, there we go. Everybody, look up GCHQ. But anyway, <laughs> um, Rick, um, closing comments, and then um, then we'll let everybody go. But uh, thank you again for joining us and uh, tell us about um, tell us about your show um, the work that you do and uh, and where people can find uh, where people can get in touch with you if they want to hear more about what you're doing absolutely well you can get to everything I'm doing on uh, Soldiers for Peace International website soldiersforpeaceinternational.org and uh, there's a link to our Facebook page uh, which is pretty active um, <coughs> excuse me there's a link to my radio shows uh, Taking Back America and SFPI Radio. Uh, by the way, uh, SFPI Radio is a live show on Monday mornings, uh, 9 a.m., uh, or at least this morning on the West Coast, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, uh, so people are encouraged to listen live so they can call in and join the conversation. Uh, we're all about uh, getting the truth out, uh, getting people who are interested in 
social justice to work together um, to, to abandon ideology, which is why I love the show so much, and uh, talk about real solutions, not just the problems. So that's what makes us different, I think. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, as always, for joining us. And, and Josh, where can people find your great work, man? Oh, well, uh, everyone can find me at journalisticrevolution.com. We've been uh, a little bit lax in getting updates uh, up because uh, if you are listening or were listening on Liberty Movement Radio, you'll notice that uh, it's a whole new Fancy Pants site, and uh, that's been taking up a significant degree of my time uh, getting that all set up. So I've been a little bit lax in my creative efforts. Um, but in addition to that, I guess you can also find me on uh, libertymovementradio.com uh, on Thursdays from 5 p.m., to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, got a radio show there um, that is kind of still finding its uh, finding its footing. Um, but you know, it's a young project. I, I have high hopes for it. Absolutely, and I know you'll do good work, man. And we got to finish up our first project and then move on to our second project. So, um, <clears throat> Josh and I do have some good stuff coming out. We actually did a um, a segment that um, we recorded for two hours and. Um, we looked at the first hour. The second hour was great. The first hour uh, was not so great. It wasn't our best work, and we didn't cover the topics as thoroughly as we wanted to, so we scrapped that. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was in a tie. So I'm still going to wear the tie again. I'm going to get dressed up for everybody just like I'm going to work, but um, it kind of threw me off sitting in front of my computer sitting there wearing a tie. But anyway, <laughs> um, thank you once again. Thank you both for joining us. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Share the show with people you know, people you love, people you like, and people that you, hey, maybe people you just want to piss off and just say, hey, listen to these people. Listen to these people and see what they have to say. But um, anyway, share the message. Everybody, you can find my work at wearenotcattle.net. Link to my Twitter, my Facebook, and um, and my YouTube channel. Um, one of the videos I always recommend is go watch the Tom Campbell interview on reality, and it's almost up to a thousand views in less than a month. And with my measly 130 subscribers, I find that to be very fascinating and also very encouraging. So, if you like the content that we're putting out, subscribe to my YouTube channel. I don't get paid for it, but it just makes me feel good when I go to bed at night. So, thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. Support Rick's case in uh, taking the money out of corporate America, or excuse me, taking the corporate money out of the American voting system, and let's see if we can't make some change, everybody. Peace, love, and liberty.